testing, testing. Go ahead, the plosive. (laughs) 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 We need to have like an outtakes reel of just us doing saying dumb things because most of this is being recorded anyway. Oh yeah, it's all when we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't know about it, so yeah. Everybody, welcome to episode 26 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host Stephen Lewis. Good day, sir. How you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Back from road trip number two, and you're leaving on road trip number one. I'm genuinely boarding a train within a couple hours. Choo so. choo. Choo choo indeed. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna work my way east to Salt Lake City. Yep. And then road trip my way with a bunch of good humans that are probably listening to this podcast. Actually, this might be weird. They might be listening to this podcast while I'm in the car driving up there. Which is kind of odd. That would be a little odd, but yeah. we'll see. Uh, anyways, we're going to go up to Whistler. I, I have a week in Whistler. Planned. That'll be fun. Here's the tricky thing. I was planning on having a SB55 at this point. Yep. I was planning on having a, an enduro bike, a monster truck bike. Okay. Um, I don't have that. No. No. Uh, definitely could not make that happen. Couldn't swing a third bike in one year. So... <clears throat> I'm taking my ASR to Whistler. Yeah, you were going to take the SB5. Yes. You were going to borrow the SB5. Very kindly offered. But then, you know, we thought about it. And uh, so I have my A race coming up in a month. Which is your single track six. Yep. And the terrain will have some definitely, you know, some gnarly stuff in it. And I thought this is a good opportunity to possibly ride some gnarlier stuff on my bike, get even more comfortable with it. Exactly. uh, Build up a lot of, uh, I guess, just some bike skill that's more contextually applied to my bike. Yeah. And also that way I don't have to get 27.5 spare tires, spare everything else. Yes, exactly. I already have all the 29 stuff. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to take the ASR to Whistler. And I bet there are a bunch of bros listening that are just like thinking that I'm I'm silly, drunk, stupid. Yeah, they're like ASR 7s do good up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I'm sure there are other other XC dudes thinking that like I'm practically on a downhill bike if they ride like like a, I don't know an S works hardtail or something. Yeah, oh, you like have that. 120 mils on that RS one. <laughs> it's crazy. That's like a demo eight. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing I would say is thinking back to the video, the Southwest video that Yeti produced. Yeah. Uh, geez, like a year ago, it was Joey Schuessler. Ah, oh, I can't remember the other guy. I apologize, but. They headed down to to Moab, and they were doing Ahab. They were doing Portal. They were doing uh, Jackson's, like all the gnarliest trails down there on the ASR. Well, not gnarliest, but some of the gnarliest trails down there on the ASR. Uh, I would run out of talent far before them, but... Your bike might run out of party, though, before you run out of talent. <laughs> this Just is saying. true. I have run out of party only once before, I think, yeah. on that bike. Oh, uh, you'll get it at Whistler. I think it'll happen. <laughs> so. Let me know how Dirt Merchant works out for you. <laughs> <laughs> will do. Yeah. Um, it's not a hardtail, so it'll be fun. Yeah. It's we'll better see. than nothing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is the podcast where we talk about mountain bikes like we just were doing. Yeah. Uh, we should say, we should give you a bit of information about it really quick. mtbpodcast.com, uh, also on social things. Uh, at MTB Podcast on Instagram, the MTB Podcast on Twitter, and MTB Podcast on Facebook, and wherever else. Do we have a MySpace? Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> okay, we thanks. should though. Praise baby Jeebus on that. <laughs> yeah, one. yeah, yeah. No doubt. Um, I apologize. In our store, we still don't have stickers and top caps. A bunch of delays on my end this time of just not having time to get to it. So, uh, but uh, they will happen. I'm riding a train, 
and You're that means I'm not time. driving. So yeah. that means I get a good amount of time. So I should be able to take care of a lot of the due diligence stuff that I've been missing out on. Do trains have Wi-Fi? This one does. Wow. Yeah. If not, then I'll be doing the emails for my phone. There you so, go. Yeah. It will make it happen. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. You can do that. Five stars, please. If not five stars, just let us know what we can do to better it. We actually got some feedback this week and we're trying to apply it and to be better. So hopefully we can merit those five star reviews. Totally. We want y'all to be a part of this just as much as we are. Yes. So, uh, Steven, let's crack on with the news. News time. News team, assemble! Okay. First bit of news. Somebody, and I, I threw this in here. This is kind of a silly note to touch on, but uh, this, this we're, we're looking at the Pink Bike article right now, but this is all over the internet. An injured rider was trying to sue uh, Whistler, the bike park, yep. for their injury uh, or for, for damages, anything else. And they were unsuccessful in doing so. Which I think it's great that the Canadian government, you know, the court system looked at this and said, okay, you signed a liability that said that you're not going to sue them. You're riding at your own risk. What you're doing is dangerous, and yet he still tried to sue. And on top of all of that, he was a volunteer bike park guy. Like, he worked there as a volunteer. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was getting into. All of us know what we're getting into. Yeah, we do. And, and sure, nobody thinks that they're going to get, you know, paralyzed like this guy. Nobody right. assumes it's going to ever happen to them, but you know that that's a risk. Yeah, and this is something that actually has really hurt the motocross world. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, in motocross, it, I'm not trying to, uh, certainly not trying to desensitize or, or make light of, or, or I shouldn't say make light of, but, uh, lessen the severity perhaps of, of serious injuries like this or even death. Yeah. It's serious stuff, but at the same time, it's, um, and it's hard because you're not in that position, but at the same time, man, like that the sport of motocross has, has had some really unfortunate and severe injuries, but also some that aren't that severe that have caused the downfall of a lot of riding tracks and, and everything else. So it's good to see uh, that this didn't go through. I just hope the judge was super polite and said sorry or something like that. So yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I just got back from Canada. I, so I, I know, I know that that's how they, that's how they do it. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to spending some time in Canada. I've only flown through a couple times, like into airports. So I'm, I'm eager to actually spend some time up there. It's going to be cool. I was a day off of getting to ride with Sonia Looney, but oh man, she left for, for uh, Whistler and Squamish before I got there. So well, shoot. Yeah. Cause I was riding in her backyard. Sonia's good people. Yep. Friend of the podcast. So uh, next bit of news, uh, or actually this is just a quick highlight really quick. Uh, Vernon Felton and the folks at pink bike, they did a piece on starting a bike company over in Asia and how difficult it would be, how easy it would be, what the cost would be. They outlined all that stuff. It's an awesome video and it really highlights, I think, uh, what bike companies go through. Everybody thinks, oh, we're just, you know, slapping our name on something we bought somewhere else or had someone else do it's. Yeah. It's way deeper than that. There are a lot of people who try to run it that way, Yep. but the successful ones, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Y'all should check it out. And, and also the, this isn't very, and it's not far off in terms of, you know, it's very similar to what almost every manufacturing industry does now. Yeah. You just have a lot of work to do over there and it takes a whole lot more than just, you know, picking a frame out of a catalog and calling it good. So exactly. Uh, check it out. Interesting stuff. Giant made a big move. Yeah. Their Anthem 29, that's their, or their Anthem XC bike. I shouldn't say 29 yet. I just let the cat out of the bag. But their Anthem XC bike, 
you know, like three or four years ago when Giant was like 27.5 is the new thing and it's we're fully committed. Yeah. And 29 is not good, but and 26 is not good and 27.5 is the future. Yeah. They aren't really saying that anymore. They're kind of going back on it. <laughs> Which, you know, it's giant. They, hey, and I don't care as long as you make a better bike, yeah. right? Um, I'll probably poke fun if you do silly marketing stuff like that that claims, you know, dominance on one from one wheel size over the other. But in this case, I think that it's a good fit. Uh, they ended up moving their Anthem back to 29-inch uh, wheels, uh, slightly slacker head tube, the whole, the whole deal. They also sh- shrunk up the stays. If you look, just looking at the frame, it looks like they may have brought the tire closer to that, um, closer to the front of the swing arm. There's always kind of like a, a it almost seemed like a negligent gap, I yeah. guess you can see there. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And it looks like it's been shrunk down a bit. So pretty cool to see uh, the good looking bike. It is. Yeah. I like the uh, the black and blue one. That's actually the, uh, the Pro 29 is a really nice build. I think in like a larger XL, that frame, especially that top picture in the pink bike link, yeah. really looks like road bike top tube. Like it's high yeah. standover. I want to know how they're going to get smalls to work really well. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the actual, um, of the silhouette of that bike. Yeah. I'm not a big fan, but I feel like just with the aesthetics and then how they spec the bike, uh, it's got that top one. Like you said, it's got uh, XX1 Eagle. And then it's got a Kashima or Kashima, however you want to say it, a coated shock and fork up front. And, and then everything else is just a very good, tasteful placements of color. Exactly. So one other aesthetic I don't like, I don't like the Fox, the remote. I yeah. don't like how far that, you know, travels up the down tube before it dives into the internal routing. You um, know, it makes me, I, my thought process is why didn't they do what Scott did and flip the shock upside down? And then run that cable through the down tubes, and you just wouldn't even see that cable. Well, that would have meant the engineers had to turn their heads upside down to look at it and kind design of, it that way. Kind of like I had to turn my laptop upside down to see your wheel yeah. after that you posted on Instagram. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that would make more sense, right? Totally. Because be- I believe this is the case, but the shock will still function if upside down. Yeah. Is this correct? Air works when it's upside down <laughs> or right side up. Yeah. Neat. Okay, science. Yeah. Uh, next one, One Up finally has that uh, EDC tool available. It's the one that you basically like push down and it clicks into place in your head tube. It's a really cool design. And then you push the other way and it pops back up. Yep. It's got tools, CO2, the whole the whole deal. And I do like, I like how the actual top cap assembly um or not the top cap assembly, but the multi-tool uses like the six mil and one of the other tools to create an eight mil. Smart. It's a very smart idea. I like it. One up is always interesting. They're clever. Sometimes their cleverness doesn't work out, but a lot of times it does. So this is actually a pretty cool tool. I like it. Good example of it. Uh, The only downside to this, of course, this wouldn't matter yet, but once we have MTB, MTB podcast top caps available, you would not be able to run them. No. So, we so should, then this is just going to get junk. We should have probably never mentioned this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Intense. Uh, intensely released a new bike. Yes. Carbine. Yep. The 2018. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I think of when I look at the... So their paint jobs are bold. And that I, that's one thing I have to give them credit for. They're one of the few that's going out on a limb and doing ridiculous paint schemes. They still offer the subtle things, you know, the black on black on black. But that violet and red, oh... I'm sorry. It's cool. It's, it cool. Good. it's really good. I like it. Now, you know, with that said, the chainstays are like a 53-foot trailer on that thing. <laughs> They're kind of long by today's standards, but... They are a bit long, yeah. 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 
Which is interesting because they, you know, it's like the pink bike guys talk about how playful that bike is and it's got really long stays and the geometry just looks like a monster truck. It looks like a good stable platform, yeah, not something that you want to throw around and have fun with. But if they say, you know, yeah. who knows, they may have spec the shock and it may be, you know, pretty, it may have a lot of initial compression there and who yeah. knows. And yeah. So it may so, be like feeling it. playful. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a clever thing, right? Maybe you make the bike. In this case, they made their bike uh, maybe with slightly longer chain stays, but what they were able to accomplish maybe in other areas was still maintain playfulness, but get some stability out True. of it. True. Yep. So it's no. all it's all a, a balancing act there. So, but totally. really cool colors, man. Yep. I like seeing bright bikes. Yep. So I'm into that. Marin released uh, their new bikes and uh, the Wolf Ridge is there. I still, uh, aesthetics have not caught on for me. Nope, not for me either. I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah. It just looks weird. Don't love it. Um, but from what we've heard. It's a good riding bike. Yep. It rides really well. So uh, just like the Polygon. No, yeah. actually, we should probably say not like the Polygon. I'm sure it's very different. It's <laughs> yeah. totally different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I've heard that it rides really well. So, um, but yeah, it definitely looks like the front and the back of the bike. And this certainly isn't aided by the fact that the front to the back, there's a fade in color. <laughs> but the front looks like a very different bike than the back. Right? Totally. Uh, but yeah, Hey, if it rides well, that's what matters. So, uh, they have a B 17 three, which actually, I love that look of just a polished metal frame Oh yeah, and then black, everything else. Yep. That's how my first mountain, my nomad yeah. back in 2012 is just raw brushed aluminum. It's a good looking deal there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty cool to see, man. They've, uh, got the Hawk Hill release and that thing is still a, a bargain bike. You can get it $2,700, $1,900 or $1,500. Yeah. Dude, that is cheap, and you get a darn good bike for it. So kudos, Marin. Good to hear. Uh, Orbea released their Rylon or Rayon or Rallon or Raylon. What do you want to call it? Uh, yes. Okay, neat. Yeah. They released that bike. It's a it's an enduro bike with a coil on the back. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It actually, and it's a really good looking bike. It's actually. pretty. Yeah. It has an asymmetrical, well, I mean, every frame is asymmetrical, but this one has a specialized enduro, or sorry, not enduro, but like a demo, demo. single-sided yeah, bracelet. Yeah, single-sided so. area by their, by their shock. Looks kind of cool, especially since it's a coil, because it like, it almost looks like the frame is like serving as like a display case for that coil. Absolutely. It's pretty sweet. Yep. I dig that bike and, uh, in and terms just, of the looks. And so we're clear, they do offer it in Airshock versions as well, but yes. this one that we're looking at right now just happens to be the coil version. And I think it looks better with a coil, man. Everything looks better with a coil. Yeah. Um, this bike, if uh, it looks like, I mean, every bike seems to be just kind of hitting geometry numbers kind of on the nose these days. Like everybody's kind of, falling into the, the, the same thing, so yeah. to speak. Um, but it's good to see Orbea doing that because a lot of people were kind of critical of Orbea's in the past, but this, this bike looks like it's spot on pretty bike. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, some racing happens at Angel Fire up in New Mexico at high elevation, uh, pro GRT and the XC stuff. Kudos to Keegan Swenson. He was on the last episode of the podcast, talked all about tires. Uh, if you haven't listened to that one, you should listen to it. You should. Uh, Keegan is quite the tire nerd. He is. Yeah, he knows He knows his stuff. So, And he also won uh, that race. That was a week after coming in second at the Carson City Off-Road. So good job, man. Uh, killer stuff. And how did Sonya do? 
Uh, Sophia? Yeah, or Sophia. Sorry. Sophia, I, I think that she was top five. Yeah, I thought she got fourth or fifth. Yeah. 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 I think you might have. I think, Sophia, I'm sure you're listening. I think you might have just missed the podium, uh, but let us know. Yeah, text uh, us right now and let us know. Yeah, right just now. Kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but good to see uh, racing back up there. Now, this thing I really wanted to talk about. The Speed Fox. The last bit of news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, aesthetically attractive bike. Yeah. They did what we were talking about with, uh, it's a similar in appearance, not kinematics, but similar in appearance, uh, suspension appearance. design. Yes. To something that you would see on something like we were just talking about with a giant, but they flipped the shock. Yes. The suspension functions differently, but the shock is upside down and that lockout remote line goes directly through the down tube. Uh, clever. I like that. Scott did that. BMC is doing it now. That is a good looking bike. Aesthetically though, I don't really like the cable end crimped on right there. Yeah, not a fan of that. Yeah. No, I figure that's actually, you could fix that if you had the bike oh, pretty easily. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, you could for sure. <laughs> and yeah. I would. Yes. Uh, that said, and, and also another cool thing, they have their own dropper post spec on this bike and the whole mechanism is all maintained within the actual seat tube of your bike. Yeah. Uh, the, everything sticking up above it is stanchion. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have all of that travel. Only a portion of that is travel. Yes. But it, you don't see like, for example, like a, a collar where the stanchion then extends out of that collar. Yeah. It just goes down. So it looks really clean, but then it kind of doesn't look clean because it has this weird like the integrated seat mast. Yeah. Like cap over the top of which it. Which is adjustable. It is, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but it's a little weird. It is. Yeah. Not sure. Uh, not sure I'm wild on that, but let's get to the really strange thing. The lockout. And did you, I don't know if you saw this, Stephen, but the lockout on this thing, so it's got a, a, a like basically a Crank Brothers Joplin remote, like yes. the joystick, right? Yep. And it's also got like, it's tied in to the rear shock. So that basically when you put your shock or when you drop your post, it also changes the damping of the shock. So it will basically like anticipate that, oh, okay, I'm descending now. I want to be wide open. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And I've seen some other stuff recently coming out with stuff like this. And you know what? I don't know if that, I don't think I would like that, but maybe that's just because I'm coming from a bike where locking my bike out on climbs is not needed at all. And I never do it unless I'm on a road. Yeah. But I, I, I like keeping those two things independent of each other. I don't know, what, are, what are your thoughts? Should I we integrate those two? The integration of that, no, because I can think of plenty of instances where I want the seat post up, but I need more rear suspension. Good point. So right? if that's all integrated, how am I going to decide, you know, it, sure, it integrates and makes things seamlessly and or makes things seamless and you put one, you know, actuator yeah. on, the, on the handlebars, but at the cost of not being able to decide how you want to ride. Yeah. And I think you can still operate the lockout somehow independently. I, I, I was kind of confused reading through this to see exactly how it works, but uh, you can check out the articles. There've been a bunch of them on the speed Fox, uh, just an aesthetically beautiful bike, kind of like their time machine that, or sorry, their, their team machine, that yeah. road bike, just beautiful bike. Yeah. Uh, very clean and elegant lines all the way around. Yeah. Uh, well done paint jobs and everything else. Like it looks really good, but I'm not, uh, I'm not keen on integrating those, the lockout and the dropper post, because I think that if your suspension, uh, damping and the variable damping that you have at the, at the touch of a thumb, if that 
is really effective, then you wouldn't necessarily want it to directly coincide with other aspects of your bike that you could adjust. Absolutely. You want to control that independently. But so what problem could this solve? Maybe if there are new riders on these things, maybe they're like, uh, you know, maybe they're in a situation where they feel like uh, it's really confusing to have too many levers. Exactly. We That's got, what I was thinking is yeah. simplifying the cockpit. Essentially. Yeah. We got rid of a front derailleur, but now we have a front lockout, a rear lockout and a dropper post. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I could see perhaps simplifying that, but, uh, maybe not the best solution for everybody. I almost feel like it's an Apple solution where they just take care of things for you and you just, you just be quiet and do what you're told. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that wasn't their intent, but I kind of feel like that. Um, so, but absolutely stunning looking bike. I really like the lines on it. So good job, BMC. Good stuff. Now, Steven, this episode is going to be a bit different, uh, because we have a ton of questions to go through. So questions are business. Yes. We are going to somewhat rapid fire through these things. Okay. We're still going to do them justice, but we're going to carry a quick cadence through this. Hopefully if you we don't misspeak. Get that bicycle pun-ish thing there. Cadence. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Okay. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. From Riley. Hey guys, I know you said you don't want to do a whole episode on it, but I was hoping you could answer a couple questions. When playing footsies, what is your favorite technique? Shows? Any supplements you take? Also, I have cramp problem on long footsie battles, plus five minutes. And I was wondering if you have any solution. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. (laughs) I read this. What is going on here? (laughs) I think that this is a comment in response to the fact that how we opened an episode not too long ago. Yeah, where you were playing footsies with me. Yeah, yeah. Or you with me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, good fun, Riley. Thanks for submitting that. I wasn't going to include that one, but I figured it was was fun enough. So uh, disclaimer, there's no footsie going on here. Yeah. Steven is, is a, is a committed man. I'm a married man. Uh, we should be, we should clarify this. Yeah. Yes. Very much hetero. Patrick, awesome podcast, five stars and great entertainments for my early AM Zwift sessions. Oof. Zwift. That stings for me to read. That's like trainer road, except not as good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love you, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, after discovering your podcast, it has made it difficult to listen to other mountain bike podcasts. Keep well, nerding out. And I won't complain if you tone down the Yeti fanboy love. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it just happens sometimes. It's Patrick, if you haven't ridden one, you should ride one. Maybe, yeah. you, maybe you'd reflect it. So uh, curious on whether you are racing nationals and whether you have any insight into the course and potential tire selection. And he mentions XCN Enduro. This will be my first nationals and I'm planning to race both events, but haven't found any info on course to start thinking about tire selection. I ride, which yes, that's been pretty rare. Any information back there. I ride mostly in Virginia, so have my bike set up for a rooty, rocky course, but I've also read that Nationals is usually a watered-down course for both events. Any insight is appreciated, and thanks again for the awesome podcast. So first of all, let's cover the last bit, that Nationals is a watered-down course for both events. Was Enduro for Nationals at Mammoth last year watered down? I think there was a couple spots that were watered down slightly or gave go-rounds, but I don't think, I wouldn't say overall that the course is pretty close to what California Enduro Series does for you know, their race during the kamikaze games. Yeah. I remember it being quite spicy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do the enduro, but I remember seeing some people eyeing lines for a very long time, some gnarly stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if it will be buffed out or, or nerfed or anything else like that. I wouldn't expect it on the XC side of things. I wouldn't expect it either. Uh, we'll see that said, we had actually a trainer road user that came out, uh, and which trainer road, <clears throat> Patrick, in this case, you can check it out. Uh, if you have any questions, trainerroad.com. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he came out and visited us and we took him for a mountain bike ride, which is pretty awesome. I mean, how many companies do that? Right. Come yeah. visit us, hang out. 
uh, we'll give you a tour of the office and then we'll go ride mountain bikes. So, uh, we went and rode mountain bikes. He's from that area. So he gave us some insight on it. He said that that's, uh, so relatively speaking, if you're an East coaster and live in a normal humid area in the East coast, he said that it's actually pretty dry up there, uh, comparatively speaking, cause you're at higher elevation. I'm sure if you're from the West coast, it'll feel like you're in a sauna, like yeah. a wet sauna because, because it's only 80 you know, yeah, percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but just the same, uh, keep that in mind. He also said that there is a good amount of, uh, like afternoon thunderstorms in that area, uh, usually in the summer. Uh, so, uh, that very well could be a possibility, but that said, he said that the trails are not too rough and technical. I was figuring that it was just going to be nonstop rocks and really slick. That said, looking at the last time they had nationals there, I think it was Todd Wells that won it. His average speed was like eight miles an hour. That's bad. The average speed at Mammoth last year, which was a fast course, admittedly, was like 16 for Howard Grotz. Yeah. So that shows you it certainly is a whole lot more slow and technical. True. So uh, it will be more technical. I would definitely err on the side of having something from what I hear. There's a good amount of rock there. So if you're the type of rider that's either on a hardtail or you are not uh, not not somebody that uh, picks lines very well, and just be honest with yourself in this situation, if you're listening to this, it's it always pays off. If you're the type of person that bounces off of things pretty regularly, gets sidewall tears regularly, me, you, you might yeah. want to get something that uh, has some some extra sidewall protection. Yep. I don't think it would be a bad idea here because a flat tire is a whole lot slower than having a tire that might be a little heavier. Totally. So, uh, yeah, I'd recommend doing that. And then in terms of tires though, which you should use on the XC or Enduro side of things, I think that you're going to have to be prepared with something that is going to, I would just bring, if you have two sets of wheels do, but if not, uh, bring a spare set of tires for mud in both situations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, otherwise I think that running something like an, a, a Maxis Aspen for the XC is probably going to be just fine. Uh, maybe something like an icon could be good too. Uh, if you're into the enduro side of things. And once again, I, I always say Maxis stuff just cause that's what I'm most familiar with. And I don't want to speak out of my realm of expertise, uh, but you can find equivalents and other brands, um, on the enduro side of things. I mean, if you're looking at something like a minion SS and then you had something like who knows, uh, or a an aggressive. Yeah. or a DHF or a high roller two. Yeah. I'm sure all of those are going to give you plenty of traction. Yeah. I would stick to more middle of the row compounds. So something like a max Terra or, you know, from Maxis or a tough fast from WTB or something like that, where you're not going with the maximum, you know, basically minimizing rolling resistance and the harder compounds go something in the middle yeah. and then front tire go with something tacky. If it rains or if it's more aggressive. It's a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Dave's question. Hey guys, love what you're doing. Always stoked to see a new episode in my queue. Five out of five stars for sure. You guys are great at keeping the MTB stoke going off the bike or in the car. Good to hear. Uh, he says only part of the pod I tend to zone out on is when you give race results. I'm a big consumer of mountain bike content, including magazines, websites, and podcasts, but I find race results hard to consume. You know, he's got a good point. Oh, absolutely. I figure we could, um, just include the race results that have any type of relation to people that, uh, you may know. And I'm speaking to the listeners. Like if somebody has been on the podcast, like we mentioned Keegan and Sophia, for example, yeah. their results there, uh, or if there's something that we can grab from glean from those, from that race or those results, we'll be covering that. Otherwise we're not going to do comprehensive results coverage like that. Totally. So we'll, we'll change that up. He says, uh, he says maybe because I'm more of a social fitness rider, but to me, Pro mountain bike racing seems a bit incoherent compared to pro cycling. Other extreme sports like pro surfing and the WSL world surfing league have done a great job with bringing the best surfers in the world to the best waves in the world. 
producing great online content that can be easily followed by hardcore surfers to casual fans. Do you think pro mountain biking would be a good candidate for such a league or does something like that already exist? This is a good point that I wanted to cover really quick. So, uh, surfing is, is, is a little different in the sense that anybody can go out and buy surf apparel, anybody, because it's cool, right? Uh, board shorts, everybody needs a pair of board shorts. Yeah. Not everybody needs a pair of mountain bike shoes or a a set of Lycra, right? It's unique. Like surfing kind of transcends things and, and, and the whole world wants to be a surfer, but they actually aren't right. Yeah. Uh, everyone wants to be Kevin Spicoli. Yes. Everyone. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, that's not possibility. That's not a possibility. And with mountain biking, not everybody wants to be that guy that pisses them off on the road that's riding in Lycra on a road bike. And a lot of the time they assimilate mountain bikers are the guys that annoy them on trails or something else like that. Yeah. So, uh, it's, that's the tricky thing there. So what I'm getting at there is that the, the, the market potential to be able to advertise with that it's smaller. Basically, if you're sponsoring mountain bike content, you need to be somebody that is, or you need to be a product or a company or service that is directly offering something for mountain bikers, because that's the people you're going to reach. Unlike surfing where you have a much more broad appeal. Uh, I don't think many people know who Nino Schurter is compared to Kelly Slater, right? Uh, Kelly Slater is probably much more popular. Uh, same thing with Richie Rude or Aaron Gwynn or anybody like that. I, I don't think that they're as well known and I could be wrong. Let me know if I am wrong on that, but that's the tricky thing. Now with that in mind, there have been some admirable efforts to bring mountain biking to people. Uh, Scott Tedrow, uh, put in a ton of money into getting live broadcasts of the pro XCT series and yeah. us, us cup stuff. So that was awesome. That was great. But I think we got into a situation. I'm sure he recognized this where kind of the whole industry was just kind of uh, hanging on him. Like, you know, we're, we're dependent upon him and I don't think that that's healthy for, for the, the racing or anything else like that. So he still supports a lot of racers and, uh, through the ride biker Alliance team and everything else. So really cool of him to do that. It's not like he pulled out completely, but it's a situation where, I mean, how many people are going to be willing to pay for that content or compensate sponsors, uh, right? It's kind of tricky. Yeah. Now bringing all of them together, it's also much more specialized in a sense, like surfing, certainly you have the big wave guys and then you have the other stuff, but the coverage that we're talking about is usually just standard surf competitions or big wave stuff. And in mountain biking world, uh, it's, it's very, it's different as well, but you have downhill riders that are not going to go do another event. Maybe they do enduro now that yeah. there's some overlap there, but XC guys, they don't translate over. It's very isolated. And also the fan base tends to be isolated. Whereas surfing fans just tend to be stoked on surfing and mountain biking. And we're rare exceptions where we actually like all of it. Yeah. Right. Well, a I lot don't like of, road bikes, but yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Your shirt says it right now. Don't be such a roadie. It does. <laughs> it's a good shirt, but I, I just, <sighs> Uh, it, it's difficult. We're seg- we're, we're divided. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel like I'm you know, politics now, but this, the sports fans and the, and the riders are divided. It's a little different. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it could be possible. I think that really, if we can get to a spot where we can efficiently deliver content to the right people, then yeah, yeah. I bet we could do something like this. But this also turns into a possibility versus plausibility scenario. Yeah. it's a good point. So, I mean, who's going to pony up the cash for it, right? Thank goodness Red Bull is here to, to stream all the stuff they do. That's the one thing that puts it all together. Yeah. Is Red Bull. Thank you, Red Bull and uh, EWS and Pinkbike. Absolutely. Yes. Appreciate it. 
so uh, let's go into uh, let's go into this next thing here from Roy. He says, "Hello, Jonathan and Stephen. I just want to share to you and to your followers a wheel builder here in Northern California, Auburn, California, to be exact. His name is Casey, and his company is KB Wheels. He's great with his craft on building wheels and cost competitive. Sweet." So Did I know, know that, that. Yeah, I know that we have a lot of listeners in uh, the NorCal area, so I figured I'd throw it in. And if you have other people that you genuinely feel, you aren't just giving a plug because you're getting paid off or something like that, but you genuinely feel is a good mechanic, good anything like that, let us know. And then if other people have questions about finding a good mechanic, we can kind of store all that information and exactly. give that out to you guys. So yeah. hopefully connect you with the right people. Daniel he says, Hey, Jonathan and Steve, first of all, I want to thank you for the great show. Definitely five stars. I'm relatively new to mountain biking, eight months about, and life in the Southern region of Germany on an average ride with, or he, he lives in the Southern region of Germany on an average ride with about 30 kilometers. I can easily climb a thousand meters. That's a lot. That's 3000 feet. That's a lot of meters. Yes, it is. So it was really hard to get into it, uh, into it for, uh, for me in the beginning. That makes sense. Uh, he says, finally, I have a bit of spare money to spend on my gear. My bike is a 2016 Scott genius LT 720 plus yay for the plus hype. And I'm mostly riding enduro and trail stuff for now. I have my bike, a helmet and some, a pair of gloves and a multi-tool. I'm planning on buying some good flat shoes. I have 510 Freerider Pro because they are not that bulky, a backpack, uh, the Evoke FR Enduro because of the back protection, and also some knee pads, IXS Flow, uh, to wear while I'm riding. Do you maybe know of some other good products to have a look at? So uh, let's cover that really quick. Shoes, Steven, if you were to get flat shoes, what would you get? Uh, the the Freerider Pro is a phenomenal shoe. That's actually a really good shoe to go with. I really can't recommend anything other than 510 in the flats market. I, I know that a lot of people like the Specialized 2FO on the flat side of things too. Yeah, but you're also not supposed to run the any of the shoes that have the SPD beds are not essentially, they're not made no, really to work. they make one that's non-SPD. Oh, they do make a 2FO non-SPD. Yes, they do. Well, look at me. Yeah, there we there are. There you go. So then, yeah, the 2FO, there you I've go. I've heard I, and a it's lot a great shoe like otherwise. It. Yep. So I don't know why it wouldn't be good for flats. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be version. good. Yeah. Uh, that's one. Uh, now for clippy, clippy stuff, you like the Mavic shoe? Yeah, I'm running, I run the Crossmax um, Enduro shoe. Yeah. It looks, it looks good. It, it feels good. It's a great shoe. I wear it to the bar after rides. <laughs> he wears it out on the town. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. And I wear my cute little ballet slippers, the S-Works XC shoes. So those are, I can't find other shoes that fit my feet as well. I do have so. ballet slipper shoes too. They just happen to be the, <laughs> what are they, the Crossmax SL Ultimate? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. It, it frustrates me because I, I so want to switch, but I can't find anything that fits. Uh, because I don't get like, you know, any discounts or anything else. And like on Jiro stuff, I'm sure I could be like, um, I've spoken to Jiro before about like being a supported rider for them and stuff, but their shoes do not fit my feet. It sucks. So speaking of Jiro, we just found the new oh. lava limited edition yeah, of cool. the, what the VR, VR 90 empire and the SLX version. They reminded me of the Jeep from Jurassic park. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sweet. So awesome. Yeah. So, um, but I, I ended up having to spend like nearly $800 a year on shoes because the S-Works XC shoe is 400 bucks and their road shoe, because I go through the road shoes pretty much one a year. Same here. Uh, uppers are not very durable. <laughs> yeah, of course, I just yeah. buy them and throw them away because <laughs> yeah, I never use them. Yeah, yeah. Just kidding. I don't yeah. actually do that. Uh, but those things are not cheap either. So really frustrated. I wish I could find a shoe that fit like that that was cheaper somehow. Yeah. It's really expensive. Uh, anyways, he says now onto my real questions. Since I, oh wait, no, actually let's cover this really quick. Um, a pack. What, what bag do you use? 
I use uh, I've got two different Camelbacks, okay. and I and I use them just because they support me in in my writing. So I you nice. know I think I have. Uh, Oh, I don't remember. It's the Voltage 10 or Voltage 12, something like that. And then the new one, I don't know what it is, but it's actually a good LR pack with 100, 100 ounce nice. um, lumbar. What's an LR pack? Uh, lumbar. It's oh. the lumbar. Uh, so it's the lower uh, hydration pack uh, instead of the one that goes up your back. Yeah. Yeah. We have a word. We have two words for those. What? Fanny pack. No, it sits inside of a uh-huh, normal camel yeah, pack. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, an enduro pack anyway, yeah. <laughs> or shuttle pack. Shuttle pack, yeah. Uh, I, by the way, I think the, the fanny pack is a much more intelligent design for riding a mountain bike than having something on your shoulders. So yeah. just for the record. Uh, <clears throat> I am going to try out a bag. As I say that, I'm going to try one out that sits up on my shoulders, the USWE. Uh, they make Liat's packs. Mm-hmm. And I have a Liat bag. I uh, like everything beside the color and the obnoxious Liat logos everywhere. Okay. Uh, but they have some other designs that I'm going to try out. Those things are sweet. They have like a, it's almost like a harness instead of like it, it actually hooking like backpack straps. It's like a harness. It's okay. pretty sweet. And I know Camelback just released that new one that, that is like a vest. And people are saying that it's like a game changer and it's changed their life and, and done all these wonderful things for them. Did it cure cancer? I, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, and it looks, it looks terrible in my mind, okay. but the thing is, if it functions, who cares how it looks? Yeah. If that thing stays put on your back, that's awesome. And, and I think that that's what they may have uh, changed. And once again, when I say it looks terrible, that's obviously my own opinion. Yeah. So, and Evoc makes really good bags. Um, I like their stuff. I actually have their travel case as well, but, um, another one to look at is Dekine. Dekine is always a good decent product they do make good stuff yeah uh, pads uh i don't have any pads i'm going to whistler i should probably have pads <laughs> Nah, i don't use pads not important i just wear long shorts and at least three quarter sleeves and tuck and roll baby yeah there you are pads that's what donuts are for right yeah <laughs> who needs pads yeah 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 when the uh, party gets too much you just tuck and roll yeah, that's nice. it. learn how to fall awesome okay um, so he has another question here talking, asking about these, uh, like a jacket that you can wear with all the armor built into it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Wearing I, one of those things? No. A camelback on its own. I mean, short of having a giant, uh, you know, uh, like pump yeah. in the back to yeah. like sever your spine. Yeah. Short of that, I think those offer some minimal protection anyway, but I don't like any of the body armor. It, none of it breathes. None of it yeah. is comfortable. You look like a linebacker when you're wearing it. And unless you're racing downhill, I don't see a need for it. I think it's fair to say that the only way that it's justifiable is if you're wearing a full face helmet without a visor, wearing those pads, and you're also wearing Lycra. You're going to see a lot of that this coming week. <laughs> Whistler? Oh, nice. yeah. Giant glories everywhere awesome. with just noob tubes everywhere. <laughs> Sweet. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. man. Uh, the last thing that he said is, does he? do you think, Stephen... So he rides a Scott and he wants to get the Yeti apparel, which I must say, I I have to admit, I thought that it was just going to be white labeled stuff from some other brand. No. And because uh, this year they wanted me to wear their baggy stuff. I usually uh, worked with Quare and a company called Kloom, Q-L-O-O-M, to get my custom stuff made. And they uh, asked me to just wear the Yeti stuff this year. And I honestly was like, oh, well, sure, but it's probably not going to be as good. And I got to say that is the best baggy apparel I've, I've used. It's so amazing. Yeti takes their gear seriously. Like they make their, their kits 
better than a lot of people. And in fact, oh, yeah. they're rolling changes. Like you'll go halfway through the year and they'll introduce something different. The cut will be slightly different. 2017 Enduro stuff is actually cut different and fits differently than the 2016 stuff. Yeah. Both in tops and bottoms. It's, so it's, it's really good really stuff. Good. It really is. The Tallinn jersey, for example, that I have, it's got this uh, coating on the fabric that makes it, I believe it's 15 degrees Fahrenheit cooler or something like that than the surrounding ambient temperature. Interesting. Amazing. Like, yeah. It's not just like they're just putting a logo on stuff. Like they have a lot of thought into these things. Yeah. No, they work on the, the legs. manufacturer on themselves, like by themselves. They are the ones yeah. who decide everything on their gear. On the legs and the shorts, they have like this fabric that's like anti-friction. So then you don't get any chafing on your legs. Well, that's like, good. Yeah. Smart yeah. stuff. Yep. So no, absolutely. But his question is, he wants to get that stuff, that Yeti stuff, but he rides a Scott. Is that a faux pas? A fashion faux pas? I mean, yeah, it's a fashion faux pas, but if you want the gear and it's comfortable, yeah, who gives a crap what everybody else thinks? Ride the gear. I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Like, sure, like, yeah, it might look funny to some other guy that's persnickety, but you know what? Like, if you have the right gear, that's like, I mean, I've seen people with, uh, for example, Roval wheels on other bikes, and Roval makes some really good wheels, right? And if, Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> well, on the roadside for sure. Yeah, no, I'm um, And so, I mean, if you're running those wheels, I don't care. Like, run yeah. them on that bike, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Specialized makes so many good little contact points. Like, their saddles are so good. Yeah. I have a Specialized saddle on my Yeti. That uh, doesn't mean that you – know, I don't think that that's a, that's a bad thing. I'm sure some people frown upon that and say that I should have a saddle only but or a saddle company only, but meh, run it. So I think it's good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he also, with about, geez, probably 15 other people just this week, have told us that we should get custom apparel because they will buy that custom apparel. So if more of you – want that, please let us know, send, or just go to mtbpodcast.com and drop us a line. So that way we can show some social proof to whatever company we end up going with, hopefully Quarry, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Chrissy Poo. I'm sure that that was the God given name there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Hey guys, impressive and awesome podcast. My question is how do you guys get used to lining up at the start gate? I race cross country and this is my second year racing U23 and I still get nervous at the line. He says team specialized is way better. They do make good bikes. We'll say that much. Well, now that she said that, I guess I'll sell everything I own and buy Specialized. <laughs> That's exactly the mentality that we're against, right? Like just like being the type of person that just goes all in regardless without thinking logically about it. So um, We're just kidding. Yeah, of you, course. Specialized never – it doesn't make a terrible bike at all. That's, no. a, that's a good brand of bike. Yes, and that new Epic that nobody knows anything about that's coming out is going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like, I like the new uh, Diverge. That thing's a really yeah, nice. pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, talking about how to not get nervous at the start line. Do you have any tactics, Stephen, uh, that you've used over the years? I mean, because have you raced cars or no? Not race cars? So, I mean, you have experience behind the wheel in a situation. I personally feel when you have a motor, things are a lot more tense. Yeah. How do you keep yourself calm? Uh, usually I just try not to think about it. Like I just, it, I notice that if I, if I really start analyzing the situation and start worrying about things, it just escalates from there. So you get nervous no matter what you get the jitters, you get the elevated heart rate, you get the, um, you know, shaky hands, you know, it just, that happens. So I yep. just try to zone out on the line and I just try to think about, you know, staying focused on what my goal for the race is or what my, um, what my plan is. Uh, so that's interesting that you say you stay focused on a specific thing, right? Yeah. That's exactly what I've done since the, uh, from racing motocross for years, ski racing, uh, mountain bike racing, road racing, whatever it is. 
I pick a very specific, I, I lay out a plan and then I pick a very specific step that I'm going to initiate first. And I just focus on that Yeah, and that's it. And if I just focus on that same thing and not stress myself out over it, but just focus on that. So for an example, um, uh, we, I can think of a race at Fontana where I had a pretty bad, I didn't get a good call up position. So I knew that I had to line up in a bad spot, right? Yeah. Game plan changed a bit for the start. So all I focused on was on that, on that line. I just thought, okay, first thing you're going to do is you're going to focus on just going outside and in the turn, just outside and in the turn. And that's all I thought of the whole time. And I thought of the line I would take and I just focused on that and that enabled me or that enabled me to get away from the nerves. So, uh, I think focus is key. If you just let yourself be taken by your emotions, then you're, yeah, it's a big mistake. Absolutely. So stay focused. Yeah. Uh, let's rip through these quicker, Steven. Merle, I live in Tahoe and have been riding a 2013 Tallboy LT. I really enjoy the 29, 29 inch wheels and the suspension, but I'm now looking for a new bike. I primi primarily ride cross country and all mountain. I have some medical issues which require a softer ride and I'm confused as to what I should be looking for. Should I get 27.5 plus or 29, 135 plus mils of suspension travel, 2.8 or 2.6 tires. While deciding on these specs, I want to keep the bike all under, or I want to keep the bike build under 27 pounds. With all the advantages of, today, uh, advantages of today's new bikes, like the dropper posts and the ability to climb and handle the trails in the Sierra. Is there such a bike or build out there? Thanks, Merle. Yeah, you're only, I think the only problem on this build is keeping it under 27 pounds. Yep. And especially if he goes 27.5 plus. Yep. And the thing is, yes, you can you can go either route and be fine. You just need to find a bike that you're comfortable on. If you have medical issues that require that, I'm guessing it's either lower back, lumbar, you know, something, something like that. I assume, yeah. So, you know, really what this is gonna boil down to is a bike that is that you're comfortable on. It's this is not something I can really give you a recommendation. Go look at this bike. I think that what you're looking at is a twenty nine with one forty travel. Yeah, that's what I to think 150 too. travel yeah. or a 27.5 plus in the same boat. The cool thing about most 27.5 plus bikes is you can throw 29 inch wheels on it and be just the same. Yep. Uh, maybe the plus tires could give you a little more cushion. I don't know what exactly you need in terms of that soft ride. Yeah. If we're talking about like, you know, protection from, from, from a lot of G's or it's just a lot of small undulations, maybe yeah. the plus tires can smooth that out. So getting a plus bike, like you said, is probably a good idea because it gives you that versatility. I kind of like the idea of doing like a, like a Scott genius LT mm -hmm. plus bike. Yeah. Something like that. Or like the, the stumpy, um, the well, fatty six. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the, the name is on that yeah. one. Um, the, the other thing, uh, SB five plus, well, SB five plus is I another one say. to go with. Yeah. Um, I would also look at a Cannondale trigger. Yep. Yeah, you know, good that's going to be, really you know, point. 25, 26, 26 and a half pounds, depending on your size. Yeah. And that's a 145 rear bike with a 150 fork. You're only 27.5, but put 27 by, mm -hmm. you know, 27.5. It comes with a 2.5 and a 2.4. Those are big tires already. Yeah. And you can put two sixes on that all day long. Well, yeah. There you go. So that's practically that's, two six, you're darn near plus territory. Yeah. So. And you don't need plus territory. And that's where you're going to start killing the weight on the bike. So, right. I yeah. was just going to say, if you're looking at cutting weight, you're really going to want to look at your wheels and tires here. Yeah. That's going to be the tricky thing. You're going to have to try to make that compromise there. Yeah. So yeah, I think that hopefully that, that helps somewhat gives you some information there, uh, in terms of where to drop weight wheels, you can drop a lot of weight handlebars. You're not going to drop a lot of weight stem. You're probably not going to drop a lot of weight. No. And static sprung weight is only going to have a direct effect. Whereas rotating mass is going to have a lot more. Correct. So that's why I would honestly try to stay away from a full plus bike in that case. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, Nikolai love the podcast. Cheers from Denmark. I'm considering an indoor trainer, like a tax or so for the wet days as we have a lot of them here. I want to use it with the tra- with trainer road eventually. Nice. Good job, Nikolai. But my problem is that I ride XX one Eagle on my giant and I need one that I can use with an XD driver. What is your suggestion? So there is no trainer that works with an XD driver right now. Wheel on trainer or rollers. Yep. Uh, or actually there is another solution. Just run it on an 11 speed. You're fine. We do it here all the time. So Nate has uh, our CEO at Trainer Road. He has a um, he has his SB45 has XX1 Eagle. He runs it on an 11 speed. It's just fine. He doesn't shift, but if it's a smart trainer, then you don't have to shift. You don't have to worry about just it. Just set it in a gear and go because the inside width of an 11 speed chain is the same as a 12 speed. So yeah, yep. yeah, you're just fine. So that's a good solution there. If you have Eagle, you can run it that way. Don't try to put an Eagle. Ca- that would be crazy trying to put an Eagle cassette on a trainer. Uh, chances are it actually wouldn't even fit in no. most cases because there's it's dished that last cog yeah quite a lot so it wouldn't even fit but then also that's a really expensive cassette just to be either flip-flopping back and forth would be a pain but if you're buying a spare cassette that's a lot of money. exactly so yeah yeah uh, that's the way to do it if you get a smart trainer like a tax neo or tax vortex you can just keep it or no not vortex uh, flux you can just keep it in that that gear other than those two smart trainers and tax i would not recommend the other ones for smart trainers uh, other than that i would recommend something like a kinetic road machine uh, that's what I have. Yeah, that's uh, the best non-smart trainer there is. So that's what I recommend. And in that case, then you're going to want to use wheel on and just use a different tire. Exactly. So, yep. Yep. Pascal. Hey guys, thanks for the great podcast. I've been following since the very beginning and it's great to listen to you guys dorking out about bikes and riding for hours. Content's top notch and the outstanding audio is icing on the cake. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you to train road for the audio. We're still using their yeah, microphones. Thank you. Uh, yes. We haven't sold enough t-shirts yet. We need to sell more of those. I need to get on it with the stickers and top caps. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, I know. Uh, recording a podcast. Oh, okay. I do have a question as well. And maybe you have some ideas around the dreaded lower back pain. I race marathon cross country, which that just means longer. Usually three hours plus a marathon or a cross country racing. That is, um, he says, uh, I do it or I race that here in the Alps, which are usually three to four hours and up to six hours long. After about two hours into the race, my lower back starts to hurt almost like cramping. And I have to get out of the saddle and stretch my back every couple of minutes. This, I see Steven stretching his back right now. Um, are you, do you have this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, he says, this only happens in races. I've never had the issue on long or hard training rides on the mountain bike, as well as on the road bike. It also doesn't matter if I'm on a hardtail or a full suspension bike. I used to ride an a- Yeti ASR as well. He says, the issue is the same. Uh, because of the cramping feeling, I thought that it could be a muscular issue and step up the core and posterior chain work even more this year. However, the situation is the same. Apart from the race-induced lower back pain, my position has not been causing me any issues for a very long time. Any thoughts or ideas? You know, I've always thought, because I have the same situation, uh-huh. like the same thing happens to me in a race situation, but if I'm out on a five-hour adventure ride, I usually don't have that issue nearly as much. So part of me always thought that, well, maybe it's like adrenaline flushing my system and then it's like going, you know, once it kind of expels itself, then you just get that drained muscular feeling. And Which so that, isn't, it isn't that, yeah, that might be a logical conclusion. Yeah. Like, so that's what I'd always assumed, but what, what is it since you seem to be smug over there with some sort of an answer? Quite smug. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a tie, well, I'd be adjusting not, my tie. Not <laughs> I'd be adjusting my tie if I had one on. Yeah. Uh, no. So, so here's the interesting thing. Uh, it, so it isn't, uh, it is fatigue. That's yeah. what you're feeling there. 
And the fatigue, usually in a race situation, it's caused because you are pushing things harder than you would. And you're also taking less breaks. That's the thing you don't realize in a race situation, uh, compared to a long ride. You could even try to simulate a race outside, but you take less breaks. Yeah. We find little spots to take a break all the time when we don't have, when we don't feel like we're chasing somebody or being chased. Right. Yeah. So in this situation, you're just giving your, 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 you're not, uh, re releasing that tension as frequently, but here's the interesting thing. Your back is where it's showing the pain and you very well may have some tension in the posterior chain or a lack of strength or a lack of stability, anything else in the core or anything else like that. But your psoas in the front, and I am not a doctor, but this is just, uh, what I've seen on the internets. And also this is what I've been told by doctors and physiotherapists and plenty of other people. And you did stay at Holiday Express last night. <laughs> I did. Yes. It's very true. But the psoas that attaches to the front in your hips, uh, right down toward the ball joint there, it ends up actually contouring against the pelvic wings there. And then it ends up attaching to the lower vertebrae in your back. Okay. When that psoas is too tight it ends up actually pulling on that lower back, which then the muscles in your back also start pulling the other way. And it's a fun little game of tug of war with your spine. Really good fun. So how do you so, stretch your psoas? So it's all about lengthening everything in front. And it, right now you and I are sitting down, right? We sit down most of the day, uh, us humans. Yeah. And when we're on the bike, we are in a sitting position hunched over even more. And then we're contracting those muscles in our hips when they're in a, when they're in a, a slack state and they're actually, you can make them shorter. So what happens is those muscles do get shorter over time. They do build up excess tension. And then we have that imbalance that ends up causing that lower back pain. So a key thing is stretching out the front of your hips. There are okay. plenty of ways to do this. Um, usually you, even with a quad stretch, like a proper quad stretch, you can get a lot of stretch through the hips. As long as you keep a straight back, you're not like bending forward or in a certain direction. Uh, you can do, uh, you can look up a, um, a stretch or a movement called, uh, uh, spider man. It's basically where you get down like in a push-up position and then you end up bringing one leg up so that it's parallel just to the outside of one of your hands. And then you end up just kind of pressing your hips toward the ground. And that will give a lot of a great stretch through the front of the hips, uh, stretch out hip flexor. So as tensor fascia, a lot of the whole business up there. So, uh, doing that will really help and trying to get your hips kind of more fluid. That said, just remember the fact that it could still creep up on you. And it's probably just because you're carrying excess tension and on race day, we just carry more of it. Totally. So, uh, handsome ish, Rob, that's an awesome name. Yeah. I like that. Good one. By the way, a big fan of this sending in your not real name. I dig yeah, this. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Keep it coming. Be like Bart Simpson. That's just fine. Yeah. Uh, you guys seem to agree on a lot of stuff. Is there anything you don't agree on other than Shimano versus SRAM friendly disagreement on the podcast is fun for us listeners. Well, I happen to think I'm better looking than Jonathan, <laughs> but I'm sure he thinks otherwise. So, so we don't agree there. Uh, do we disagree on other stuff? I mean, I don't know. I really we don't. Of, we kind of do agree on a lot, right? Yeah, we do. It's yeah. kind of weird. Um, oh, I'm not a big fan of Mazda cars. Yeah, well. Steven is. Well, I was when I owned one, yeah. Yeah. Are but you I, no longer? Well, I don't own the Speed 3 anymore. That got sold almost two years ago now. Yeah, but I mean, are you no longer a fan of them? Um, it depends on the car. Okay. Like, I'm not a fan of the normal Mazda 3 by, you know, by normal standards because my set of criteria and what I choose in a car, Yeah. you know, a Mazda three wagon is a terrible decision, but the Mazda speed three wagon was good. Was fun. I loved that car. So here's the problem. Here's why we don't disagree enough. You are a balanced, rational, 
and not emotional human. That You're rational. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why, like you just said, it's not like you're a Mazda fanboy. No. It's not like you're anything else like that. In fact, you're not even a Shimano fanboy. No, not at all. And I'm not a SRAM fanboy. I'm a Shimano Brake fanboy. Right. It's just the only thing that I guess that we found this kind of fun to disagree on. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but because you just like terrible brakes <laughs> that don't work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, you like fishing reels. So, <laughs> so you know, you teach their own. So Exactly. But that's pretty much the only argument that we have. That's probably why we beat it to death. Yeah. So. And I will say that I like my, my SRAM, the guide RS brakes on the Jekyll better now mm. that I got rid of the SRAM brake pads and I put the Jaguar extremes on there. I thought you were going to say <laughs> got rid of the SRAM brakes and yeah. push them off. <laughs> I love the SRAM brakes now that they're gone. <laughs> no, I'm leaving the SRAM brakes. Yeah. This bike, you know, since I technically don't own this bike, it's a right. it's a twelve month demo as uh -huh. the is an ambassador with Cannondale. I don't technically own that bike, right? So I'm not going to change like the lease. brakes out. Yeah, it's a lease. It's a free lease, is what it is. Pretty so I have to give it back next year. So why would I take the guide RSs off and I mean, spend money on XTR trails to give it back to them and to also have worse brakes? I mean, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so exactly. moving on, Chris. He says, I'd like to be the guy who stirs the bottom bracket pot again. I'm a loyal listener to the mountain bike podcast and the ask a cycling coach podcast, but I thought this question would be better suited for this forum. Certainly. He said, since train road has made me such a data nerd, I use power data on every ride. Good man, by the way. Yes. I have a stages XTR power meter on my Niner air nine. I recently purchased a 2014 specialized camber expert. And just to recap, a stages power meter, it's just one crank arm that has the strain gauges and accelerometers and wireless chip and battery built into the crank arm. Yeah. That's it. Oh, it's, I shouldn't say built in, but it's actually bonded onto the crank arm. Yes. On the backside of that crank arm. Yeah. He says, I recently purchased a 2014 specialized camber expert. I would like to be able to switch this power meter from bike to bike, but the camber has SRAM cranks with a PF30 bottom bracket. I'm having trouble figuring out if it's more cost effective to buy a new power meter. Not really sure if the stages or if stages makes a power meter for this crank set any longer, which I'm not sure they do or try to convert the camber's bottom bracket so I can use the Shimano cranks. Can you break down the conversion process or is there a better way to skin this cat? There's actually one really quick method is converting the camber bottom bracket. Yeah. So wheels manufacturing makes a BB 30 adapter to Shimano 24 millimeter cranks. Yes. Super as simple. As does Praxis. As does pra Well, and this is not a full bottom bracket conversion. Oh, okay. This is just two little spacers that are like 25 bucks uh -huh. that slide into the BB30 bearings and then it adapts down to a Clever. 24 millimeter Shimano spindle. Clever. Okay. So that's a quick and easy method to to do that, to skin Only. this cat and be done with it. Then you can run your XTR cranks on this bike and everything's good. You as long as to, Q factors match up and everything. Perfect. That's yeah. all I was going to add in yeah. is that as long as your Q factor checks out, which just make some calls and you can find out if that Q factor will, will, yeah. will fit. Basically, if you have the narrow Q factor XTR cranks, they might have a clearance issue, but if they're the wides, they'll be fine. You should be fine. Yeah. So, so there's that method. There's also replacing the bottom bracket, but then you can't switch back and forth. Yes. Your camber and your other bike are going to be stuck using that crank set all the time. Whereas with my wheels manufacturing setup, you can leave your XO cranks or, you know, I'm assuming they're XO SRAM cranks. Yeah. You can leave those on for all intents and purposes. And then if you want to throw the power meter on there, you just put the adapters and the XTR cranks in and you're done. 
Clever, Stephen. Yeah. Very clever. Yep. I was going to suggest a whole new bottom bracket. Well, there you go. Silly me. Yeah. Noah, uh, hi guys. I'm 15 and I've just finished my first year seriously mountain biking. I raced cross country in the Nike League and I've been drooling over the new Ibis Ripley. I want to continue with the XC racing, but in the off season, I like smashing trails and I want to know if you thought the Ripley would leave me underbiked if I went to Moab, Utah, or some other gnarly destinations. If so, do you have any other suggestions that would be a great XC goat, meaning like that it would climb, but also convert to a party on wheels for the off season? I like this guy's thought process. I He's also a good kid. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I also race some cyclocross. I currently have a Fuji Tahoe 1.5. I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I don't think you'll be under gut with a with no. a Ripley. Just I think put bigger be, tires on it. I think it'd be a great bike for you. Yeah, it. I think I think if you did anything, if you were, you know, a Ripley, an ASR, even the new scalpel. Yep. The new epic that nobody knows about yet that doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. We have no idea what we're talking shall about. Shall not be named. You know, they're slack <laughs> enough. You know, that's the thing that they're learning in XC is that they don't need, a, you know, a 95 degree head tube angle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that would be an inverted fork. <laughs> you know, they don't. That's need what s- happens after you hit a tree. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think on any of these bikes, going to Moab to party is fine. You're just going to want a heavier duty wheel set and yep. bigger tires. Yeah. Just as we, in just as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, I mean, uh, the, the Ripley has, you know, we're t- like you mentioned the ASR, those type of bikes and that Yeti video, they were slamming everything there on those yeah. ASRs did just Absolutely. fine. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's the cool part about modern XC bikes, the, the good XC bikes, yeah. the fact that they, they can party too. Exactly. So, uh, the yellow dart, also, I'm sure God given name there. Yeah. His parents loved him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey guys, do you guys have tips on keeping cables from sticking when riding in wet weather? For example, I always have a hard time with my dropper post line sticking in the pulled position so the post doesn't stay put. That would be really annoying. That is strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wash the bike after each ride with no, sorry for laughing at your misfortune, yellow dart. I wash the bike after each ride with no luck. I appreciate the help of the podcast. Well, I think it also, this depends there's a lot of issue here with, well, what's sticking? Mm. Is it the lever getting dirty and sticking? Is, you know, water and dirt getting inside the actual cable housing? Right. That's what I don't know. And the one thing I will tell you is if you have a cable actuated dropper post, put the wolf tooth remote on and it won't stick ever again because it's a bearing assembly inside the actual pivot of the lever and that keeps it from having any issues getting any dirt inside messing up with you know anything now if you're getting dirt inside the cable housing then that's a different story and there really isn't a fix for that yeah new housing and new cable is yeah. the best way to do that and you're um, you're not going to be able to run any sort of like sleeves on the mm-hmm. end of it at the remote that will keep dirt from getting inside like jaguar is famous for having that stuff yep. but you're not going to be able to do that so something that uh this probably goes against convention, but uh, my whole life racing motocross, my dad was always against lubing cables. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I never had to lube a cable. Yeah. I think that like if you end up putting gunk in there to try to lube things up and free You're it up. You're just attracting more dirt. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we just, you know, changed out cables pretty regularly. Cables aren't that expensive. No. It's, and it's uh, as long as you keep you, if you change your cables regularly, chances are your housing won't need to be changed out as regularly. Exactly. And then it's, you don't have to worry about internal routing many times too, because you can keep the housing in place. It can help. Yeah. So. And so here's the other thing is if, if it's getting stuff inside the actual cable and housing, the reason it's probably doing that and binding up is that things are worn out. 
Yep, needs so, to be changed. So personally, what I would do is I would just replace everything with either like Jaguar's Lex housing mm-hmm. and their uh, Pro Slick cable. It's expensive, you know, one-time use. But once you do that, you should have no issues with anything. Mm-hmm. Dirt can't really get inside, you know, and then just change your cable often. I mean, this is an argument for a reverb here. It is, yeah. If you live in an environment that has a lot of gunk or a lot of rain or anything else like that, the reverb is hydraulic. You don't have, you don't have dirt that. getting inside. Fully sealed. Yep. So, yeah, that could be a better uh, better option there. Wish we could help you more. Yeah, agreed. Steven, we're out of time for more questions, but we have plenty more to cover. We we'll, do. We'll get to that next time. Yes. Uh, I'll be putting out a podcast here also when we're at Whistler. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking about some of the trails we're riding, some of the mistakes we've made. and uh, So you're going to Skype me in? Uh, yeah. Do you want to do that? I kind of do. Yeah, it'd be fun. Cause I don't, I don't want to feel left out. I'm bringing like, I'm just bringing a really tiny microphone for my phone though. So it's don't expect good audio quality people. We'll keep it short. I just want to deliver some good information while we're there. Yeah. So good. It'll be good. Beautiful. Steven, let's close it out with the tips. Sounds good. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live. Uh, the tip for me is a video that I dug, uh, mountain biking related. It's called High Altitude Lines. And yes, it's a Yeti one. But here's the deal. What other bike companies are making stories about riding and staying in the high country the whole time in the San Juans in Colorado and living off of the fish that you're catching or not catching in this case because they had a hard time catching fish. But that's like... And for those that know me, they'll know this is 100% genuine. That's pretty much my dream is just living off the land in the high country. That's like, that's where I'm happiest. Uh, So they did a a pretty sweet video on this, uh, just absolutely gorgeous scenery. Um, Yeah, just absolutely awesome. So check it out. Uh, I dug it. I thought it was an absolutely awesome piece. What were their issues with, um, with fishing? Why weren't they catching anything? I don't know. Uh, apparently, uh, fish perhaps are savvy and they don't want to bite lines. I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not an angler. Uh, I think that's what they call them. A fisherman. Okay. I don't really know, but one did get a Tinder match when they were out there. Okay. So that's important. I that's think. That's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I thought it was a, I thought it was a cool video that encompassed and embodied a lot of why I ride mountain bikes. So if you want insight into why I like riding mountain bikes, this is pretty much it. Uh, just getting out there and getting lost in some, in, in some beautiful country. So. And, and good pictures, great, great Friggin. picture quality, great video. Awesome. Yeah. Kudos, Joey. She was there for yeah. the podcast. Uh, good stuff. Uh, they just, always. they clearly didn't bring the right bait. They should have brought C4 or dynamite. Ah, that's what you were hunting for there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Crocodile Dundee style. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I think how he hunted there. So Steven, your tip. Uh, the WTV padlock grips. Okay. So I was super hesitant when these first came out to cut a set of high end carbon yeah, I would handlebars because it kind of pigeonholes you into now you have to use these grips. Yeah, and there's no way to test it out before, so you pretty much scrap a set of bars. Yeah, that's kind of scary. So it, when I got the Jekyll, it came with a set of um, 780 millimeter Cannondale carbon bars. Okay, and so I was like, okay, well, it came with the bike, so you know, heck, let's just give it a try. Yeah. So I had Jason Mosler cut my bars and put them on at the TDS Enduro, and I've just been riding them since April. Yeah, I love them. I really enjoy these things. What do you like about them? So I, at first I thought, well, these things are kind of dumb. Like the lock assembly, I don't really think, I've never spun a grip, so not yeah, a big I was deal. Just gonna I've never say, had that issue. Never spun a grip myself. But he said that's kind of tertiary to why they designed these grips. So okay. what they do is the, the, if you look at the cutaway on their website, 
the edges, the corners where I typically roll my hand out and I'm on the outer edge of my palm, yep. typically is in some pain after a while. Yeah. So I've noticed that since being on these grips, I don't have that issue anymore. Interesting. They're more comfortable, more compliant, more supple. Because there is no handlebar there now. Yeah. There's a, it's a tapered edge that yeah. you've cut into your bar. Yeah, so now you have, you know, half of the grip is padding and it's super cushy and it's very comfortable and I like them. Interesting. I really enjoy these grips. Yeah, it's a, it almost reminds me of the Moto world a bit, like with how they, I've seen them use like uh, different systems to try to suspend the hand or, or separate the hand from the vibration through yeah. the bars and things like that. Yep. Interesting to see. Um, I'm very much a simpleton with grips. I kind of well, yeah, it. you you like your ESI grips. I do. Weirdo. Yeah, I know. Foam grips. But this is cool, and WTB makes cool stuff. They man. do. They're smart. Yeah, so give them a try. Yep. Awesome. Uh, once again, you can check this podcast out, share it, uh, listen to the latest episodes, everything else at mtbpodcast.com. <clears throat> Hopefully, you will have, geez, uh, top caps, stickers, everything else. You'll be able to get those on the store soon, so stay tuned for that. We'll put that up there. That will enable us to get uh, microphones of our own, and then hopefully, uh, also, uh, that'll allow us to afford possibly even traveling to do some cool stuff. Exactly. So maybe even putting that money back into stuff to, like, events for you guys, right? Exactly. So if you guys end up putting enough money in, then we can actually like throw a pretty sweet trail party somewhere. That would be fun. That would be awesome. Yeah. Cause we I'd don't want to just that. go places on our, you know, on our listeners dimes. Yeah. We want to go places with you. Yeah. That'd be we pretty sweet. Do things with you. That'd be sweet. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Ride bikes. Yes. Let's go ride bikes. All right. We'll talk to y'all next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.